Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. This episode is hosted and sponsored by Zenium HR. Zenium is helping small and medium-sized organizations transform their workplaces all across the Pacific Northwest. Zenium supports those companies for their HR, their payroll, benefits, training, you name it. To learn more about Zenium and opportunities for engaging in some of our programs, go to zeniumhr.com and learn more there. Okay, today's episode is a fun one. I had a conversation probably a month and a half ago with Craig Lamasters. He's the author of the brand new book, Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others. Have you ever gone through a time, whether it's you personally or your organization, where you just feel like you're working so hard, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot of progress to show for it. Well, Craig talks about this idea of the circle of stuck, where just one example where you say, okay, there's something we want to execute. We're going to have a meeting around it. And then on the back end, you summarize action items. And then you enlist some opinions from others who maybe were in the meeting or weren't in the meeting via email. So you copy a bunch of people on it, collect all the feedback. Then you say, let's have another meeting. And then after the meeting, you add more people to the CC and BCC line to get more feedback. And then you bring in consultants to talk with you about this idea of execution. And then you're just, it's a complete mess at that point. And then it just cycles over and over again. But that's just one example of, of how in our organizations and our teams, things don't move as fast as we'd like. We get stuck. And Craig LaMasters is here to talk all about it. Full of wisdom. Uh, I love this episode. Craig was fantastic. And I know you're going to get a lot from this episode. So let me know what you think. Reach out to me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, email, any of those places. I'd love to hear what you thought about the episode and make sure if you listen on Apple podcasts, please go click that little five-star rating. And if you have extra time, write a review that would really help us grow this podcast. Uh, Again, we're out trying to transform workplaces all across the world and really appreciate the support. Spread the word with a friend. Uh, Thank you so much and enjoy your day. Craig, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you, Brandon. Look forward to our conversation. Love the work you're doing out there. So I appreciate it. Well, you've got a new book coming out, Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others. I don't know by the time this comes out, if your book will be out. What's the release date? Yeah, so we did. We started pre-release last week and the actual sale date is October 6th. So it's in pre-sale now, but it'll be ready to ship on October 6th. Mm. There's a quote that I saw in the intro that stuck out to me, not to use the word stuck already, (laughs) but you said that stuck companies tend to have lots of meetings with lots of people that lead to very little output. And I feel like with that line, I resonated with that as a leader, but also just 
in observation of other people too. So first of all, what do you consider a spec company? And then secondly, why do you believe that to be true? Just about the meetings and lots of people. Yeah, and I actually call it the circle of stuck. All the work that I do comes from sort of my background, Brandon, as a former CEO of a big company. And so it's really experientially based, not really academic based. So the circle of stuck really came from my own experience of, you know, how do you recognize people are stuck? And the way I define stuck is, first of all, what it's not, because people get confused. It can be kind of a negative term. And so what it's not is that you're not trying. It's not about not working hard or any of those things. When I use stuck, what it means to me is we actually are trying very hard and we're doing a lot of different things usually, but we're not moving at a speed that works. And usually shareholders, owners, if you're self-employed, it's yourself that determine what the speed is, but it's usually not fast enough. And so what I found was we normally get stuck when we're moving outside of our core business. That's that's where we get really challenged with being stuck. So I came up with these symptoms because people would ask me, well, how do I know if I'm stuck? Well, and I just started listing things that sort of I experienced over those years. And there were things like you mentioned meetings, like well, how many meetings you guys have? And then if you start looking at like the carbon copy, CC on you know the emails after the meetings, how many of those do you get? And then I started talking about buzzwords. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but we tend to create a whole new vocabulary when we're stuck. It's like we feel better if we create buzzwords and then we do more meetings. The reason I call it circle of stuck is if you follow it around, and I describe it in quite detail in the book, it literally is a circle and yet we really haven't moved forward on the thing we're stuck on. And that's what I became obsessed with, which is how do we get unstuck? Because it's very real. And I've had the privilege last four years since I left public company life and started doing this with my new firm that I built is I just got to talk to hundreds of different companies all over the world and new clients and stuff. And this all resonated with people. So I thought it was just me when I ran a big company, but it just resonated with people. Yeah. So I became obsessed with getting unstuck and kind of made it my life's work now. Yeah. I love that. Like the circle of stuck, it just so resonates with me because it's like you start with a meeting, then it leads to emails, <laughs> which you CC everybody. And then, oh, let's schedule a follow up meeting. meeting. And then, yeah. then more work comes out of the meeting and then more emails. And it, yeah. to your point, like no progress really gets made. So yeah. it makes me believe that there's a lot of folks out there that are probably listening and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in yeah. the circle. So like, how do you become aware that you're in this circle? Yeah. So what I encourage leaders to do is actually dissect these little components. And even to the granularity of go analyze your meetings. Like just look, everybody look at your white space in your calendar, which we don't have a lot of usually. And how many meetings you actually have? And then how many people are involved? How many carbon cops? I actually had a CEO interrupt me during a talk recently on this and said, I have a record for you. And I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. He goes, I just got an email. I never thought about this ever before until you mentioned it right now, but I had 347 people copied on an email. Get out of here. That is just irresponsible. Isn't it? It's a really good company. It's a brand you'd recognize, super smart people. And this just creeps up on us, Brandon. And so I encourage leaders to go examine how we actually spend our time. Go look at the buzzwords. You go to a meeting and you're a leader in a company and you have to ask people what words mean. Like, why do we do that? These are all real symptoms, right? Do we do ideation sessions with no output, right? Do we do these sort of think tank type meetings where we're bringing in consultants with really no output? Nothing wrong with any of that. But that's the question leaders have to answer. Is any of this leading to real change on getting unstuck? And 
Unfortunately, the answer, if you really take the time to do that, is no, we're just going to go right back to the meeting room. And again, it's not that they're bad people, they're good people working hard, but it gives us a false sense of accomplishments, quite frankly. And that's what I've sort of, again, sort of dedicated this work to say, we have to stop the insanity and there's a way to get unstuck. I'm resonating with you so much on this. And I think like people think the busy work that they're enduring, you know, the meetings, all the emails, there's a level of like importance that they feel from all those things. The fact that they're busy, they're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm, well, I'm productive. But that's just simply not true if there's no progress being made. So that's right. What do you think the issues are? You mentioned a nice little story about David versus Goliath. As a great illustration of being stuck versus unstuck, you'd mentioned that. Goliath was in the circle of stuck, basically. And David, on the other hand, well, maybe you just share that because I think yeah, it's well, perfect for this. Well, and it's a proxy for the answer, which is David had a lot of wisdom, right? I mean, he had the knowledge and experience on how to get unstuck from that situation, which was a pretty gloomy situation, right? We all know the story. And that really is the answer that I landed on, which was super simple. And as we sort of curated this at the company that I was running, again, this is a big company, a 100-year-old insurance company, not easy to move things quickly. And when I bumped into this, and a guy started to talk to me about this idea, and then we curated into this little advisory board idea, and it was all about what was missing in that circle was wisdom. That's what happens. If you think about it, again, I encourage all your listeners, just think about something you're stuck on. And number one, define the destination, right? Do we even know where we're trying to go? That's step one. But if you have a new destination, which usually means you're stepping outside of your core business, I mean, to continue to grow, we have to do that. We don't like it because the core is comfortable and we know it. We have lots of knowledge and experience, which is how I define wisdom, by the way, the intersection of both knowledge and experience. But think about this for a second. The day we step out of that core, our knowledge and experience, it doesn't go down incrementally, it plummets. So here we are as leaders trying to take our organization to this new thing, right? So if we make coffee cups, now I'm going to make staplers, (laughs) right? And we say, well, it's just making stuff. Well, guess what? It's not. It's really different. And my wisdom on making the stapler is really low. But as leaders, we want to try to make it the same. And that's how we get in the circle of stuck because we're having these meetings trying to make staplers all of a sudden. And all we know is to talk about how to make coffee cups. That's right. Right. And we do it. I promise you, we do it in every industry across the board on most topics. And so all we did was figure out a way to say, hey, can you actually go find the wisdom that's missing and interject it into the conversation? And it's a game changer. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I got to run this company for 11 years as CEO. and. I didn't run across many game changers, lots of stuff that helped me incrementally. This was a game changer because as soon as we put the wise people in the room, and I learned this when I was stuck on digital transformation, a pretty meaty topic. And we were stuck because we had a bunch of people, all 12 of us in our senior leadership. We didn't have any wisdom on digital. And it's pretty funny that we're in the room circle of stock <laughs> among my own team and we're all making up these plans and we're buying oh, companies. Man. And guess what? None of us knew what we were doing, Brandon. We're good people and we're working hard. So that's when we put the wise people in the room and they were just operators from other companies that knew how to do this stuff. And in eight months, we built a whole digital company. It's like, how do you do that? Well, guess what? These people had the knowledge and experience and we were humble enough to listen to them 
and learn very quickly. That's how we're supposed to learn in small groups, right? Or one-on-one. And we were able to go do it. We had plenty of resource. That wasn't the issue. The issue was we were missing the wisdom. So that's the David and Goliath story. And it's the story that is, I promise you, it's applicable in any size organization. We've got to be humble enough, which is step number one, to recognize that the wisdom plummets once we step outside of our core. But that's okay. There's a way to solve it. Yeah, it is fascinating that this definitely applies to both small and large organizations. And you actually list several organizations, ones that everybody would know. And the one that always comes to mind, just because I finished reading the story about Netflix not too long ago, the whole book the co-founder wrote, and just the whole blockbuster thing is just so funny to me. It's really sad. It's really sad. It's a prime example of what you're talking about. So maybe share how they should have done things differently there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and again, it's a great proxy. And everybody that's, you know, familiar with Netflix, some might not be old enough to even remember Blockbuster at this point. But I mean, they owned, right, before there was real streaming, they owned the marketplace of how we watched movies, basically. And yet the paradigm and their opportunity to have captured that next level market, which became the streaming world, right? But they had all the customers. What they didn't have was any of the knowledge and experience to go do what Netflix and now many others have done. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. They were basically a retailer. I mean, these were retail people that just brought movies to retail. And now they have a complete captive audience. And if they had just interjected the knowledge and experience, also known as wisdom, at the time they owned that market and this was starting to bubble. They didn't see it coming. Kodak was the same thing. I think we have that in the book as well. Same story, right? You sort of know it's coming, but we just don't have quite the humility to bring in the wisdom to say, wait a minute, these are our customers. We've got to have the wisdom to shift the model and actually right. deliver it differently. I mean, we're still watching movies. <laughs> That's a yeah, change. Exactly. I mean, just maybe the platform just and the, the way. The platform. Right. And we see that over and over. I mean, you could write a 200 page book just on the examples, but I think people can pretty easily get the point core to new stuff. Don't forget the wisdom and have the humility to go find it when you don't have it. And you said something very important, Brandon. I've actually found we actually started a ventures company two years ago because I was doing this with bigger companies, which is what I knew. Then we started doing it with mid-tier companies, mid-cap, sort of mid-cap public companies, family enterprises. And then we took the business model all the way down to early stage companies. Yeah. Because what I found was, I found it really interesting that it really wasn't money that was preventing these early stage companies from being successful. It was wisdom. And by that, I mean, most founders have wisdom on, let's say, the product they create. They should. <laughs> That's why they're a founder. But guess what? Business is harder than just a product, right? And so for them, getting outside the core meant, how do I now go build distribution, right? How do I build supply chain? How do I build relationships? Because ultimately, somebody has to buy this stuff. And what I was finding is a lot of great early stage companies were failing. And then people say, well, it just wasn't a good idea. No, it was a great idea. But as soon as they got outside of their own wisdom bucket, it plummeted and it failed. So we started bringing the wisdom-based learning model to early stage companies. And it's been a blast because the founder, smart person that started it still gets to do their thing. And then you just interject the wisdom to build the other stuff. And guess what? Then it works. So I think it works even better for smaller companies. Yeah, I was actually 
before you mentioned the VC stuff, I was yeah. going to mention like that's a prime example of how you're bringing wisdom into a smaller organization. Most people think of venture capitalists just providing an influx of cash. That's simply just not true. It's like they built companies, they've sold companies, they've done all of this, they have the knowledge, experience, and the wisdom to help these smaller stage companies reach new heights. And I think what's interesting is these small companies sometimes will prove that there's a market for whatever they're trying to do. And you know, with a lot of these technology companies, they're just they maybe get active users or their members. And with VC coming in, they're like, we can figure out the business model long term or the revenue model, whatever it may be. And that's where the wisdom comes into play. It's like they just know that there's a market for it. That, that's right. And again, I'm not anti. I think VC has a great role, private equity as you move up the food chain. But I do caution people to be very careful on the partnership pick there. Because if you look at the average venture capital firm, they still have a very high failure rate. That always perplexed me because part of the sales in that arena, the way I always understood, and we've sold a lot of companies in that arena of running a big company, and it was always proposed, but we do have this sort of intellectual capital that we help. And that can be true, but you have to be very careful because a lot of times the people with the money got extremely lucky on a business model and made a bunch of money. Now, I would say that's awesome, <laughs> you know, who wouldn't want to be that person? But I would also ask, does that person really then have the knowledge and experience to go build business models across a bunch of different areas or spaces? And that's what happens in a lot of these failures where, again, we don't have the humility to admit that maybe just because I was successful that I don't know really how to build this distribution model or this supply chain or this global expansion. And, and I think that leads to a lot of frustration with both venture capital and private equity at times. Now, again, there's some great firms who actually do have that. So I'm not saying this is generic for the industry, but we've actually taken on and talked to a lot of companies that have had that experience. And so when I talk about finding wisdom, the secret sauce is to get extremely granular. We actually build, if you pick an ecosystem, we actually take the destination that we're after and break it down into three or four component parts of what is the wisdom you really need to go do this well? So if it's a distribution model, then what are the three or four components about the distribution model that you find really hard, right? That's usually where the wisdom gaps are. And then we want to go find people that have done those very granular pieces of it, right? Because this idea that there's this all-knowing, wise person that can just do all of business is, for me, kind of nonsense. I just think it's just way overselling, you know, even the iconic people. So we want to get really granular and go find that wisdom because those are the people that are going to show you how to do it. That's when it gets really exciting because those answers come very quickly. We actually trademark the term rapid cycle learning because if you look at the history of education, this is how we were supposed to learn. The super wise people that had the knowledge and experience teaching one-on-one the younger, less wise person. That's how we were supposed to learn. And I think we largely have gotten away from that. You know, traditional education has moved way away from that model. And again, some of that's really good because we can teach the masses basic things. But on the hard stuff, boy, you better have wisdom in the room or you really aren't going to learn it. Certainly not learn it fast enough. Let's put it that way. Yeah. The, something that comes to mind when you just said the, the one-on-one mentorship, you know, those who have gone through experience and have the wisdom versus some of those that are kind of newer or, you know, they're an impact player, but they don't have the wisdom of somebody who's gone through decades of experience. And 
a lot of it's got to be communication gap or generational gap or there's probably just a lot of underlying issues there of why we've gotten away from that, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. So again, that's a whole nother episode. I find the topic fascinating. (laughs) I think we have gotten away from it. And when we do it, especially in companies, it's a bit ceremonial. And it's hard to do it internally. We actually built a coaching platform. I was always frustrated with traditional executive coaching. We actually built what we call impact coaching around this concept, which is what people I think for learning really do, budding and aspiring leaders really need is a very small network of leaders that have done the things and learned the things they're trying to go do. And it's very hard to do that on your own. And so we just build these cool little learning ecosystems for people and facilitate one hour learning conversations on very specific topics. And it's amazing how fast you can learn with somebody doing that. Now, left on our own, we tend to do traditional networking, which is largely social, quite frankly, because it's hard to go find somebody like in your role, if you want to get to the next level on some of your content marketing in a very specific topic, how do you go do that? How do you go find that person that's not competitive, that's not in the company, which is the mentoring within companies is hard because we're all competing for jobs. And let's just be candid about it. I mean, it's kind of silly when you think about it. Oh, go teach each other everything you know. I mean, that's a great aspirational goal. I've never seen it work. Didn't work in my company, right? So wouldn't it be better if you had non-competitive people who just love pouring into other people and are willing to do one-hour learning conversations? It's amazing how fast we can learn. The single biggest feedback we get when we do these connection calls is, I had no idea I could learn that much. You're actually 55 minutes long. Like, I had no idea I could learn that much. Well, that's how we're supposed to learn. <laughs> Core to your book is the equation wisdom equals yeah. knowledge times experience. And yeah. I'm curious if, like, so if an executive group is just sitting around the table, they know they're stuck. Yeah. They're aware of it, right? So they need to go out and get knowledge and experience. I think knowledge is fairly easy to acquire. There's tons of information out there. There's books, there's podcasts, there's videos, there's, you know, People who have gone there and done that, they've written it out there. It's documented. So I think that's easy to acquire. The experience, on the other hand, it's hard. So I'm thinking like if you're sitting around an executive table and you're like, okay, we can get knowledge. How do we get the experience? So often is it them looking at it like we need to bring in somebody from the outside. That's Hired gun who has gone there and done that. Yeah. Something that we already want to accomplish. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's a traditional approach. And we all do that. And there's a time for that. It might justify hiring somebody. Most of us can't afford to do that. And it's probably not even appropriate. So that's the way to think about it then is where we try to fill the gap. And this was the secret sauce. As I mentioned, I stumbled on running a big company on the digital transformation was, wow, what if we could get four or five people that would be willing to come do this and help us? These are operators, people with full-time jobs. And we do it on an advisory board capacity that would actually go and invest some time, you know, they'd probably get a small fee, but invest some time to teach us how to do this. And that's what we do day in and day out at GXG is build these little boards and we help people do what you just described. They have both the knowledge and experience and they want to invest time. The spirit of reciprocity is alive and well. I mentioned in the book. And if you ask people in the right way, you facilitate it the right way, it blows people away when we tell them the board members we have lined up to come help. And the first question they ask is, why would they do this? And my only answer now is just watch and see, because they come, they want to share their wisdom. They've been asking the right way, but they also learn as well. And they build this amazing network of new people they would never have access to. And guess what? Every one of our board members the last four years wants to be on other boards. 
and they want to tell their friends about it because people want to share their wisdom, again, if they're asking the right way. And that's the secret sauce of all this is finding those people and then watching that sort of magic happens. Because to your point, Brandon, you know, what company should be able to afford any whim on a new thing they're trying to do? Just go out and hire a bunch of people that have that. I mean, you don't have to do that. If you find somebody with the knowledge and experience, the wisdom, then they'll come in and share it. And we do two things. I believe you can do both at the same time. You're solving the problem with the company, whatever they're stuck on, but you're also teaching the farmers how to farm. So we actually pair people up with the person in the company responsible for whatever it is we're working on, and they're teaching them as they're solving. And that's the cool part is once this little process is done, now the person who didn't have the wisdom has the wisdom they need, but they've also solved that problem. Now they can go use it on other things. Right. And that's the cool part about it is you don't have to just go hire it. Again, there's a time and place for that. And it would be awesome if you're financially able to do that. But most companies don't and don't have to. Half of your book covers, there's a process for getting unstuck. I'm not going to cover all that because I want people to go get your book. Awesome. There's so many things that we couldn't even cover on this podcast to really outline the process. But what I wanted to ask you about it is you just outlined in a nutshell, like, yeah, what people should do. They recognize they don't have the wisdom. They go out and get it. Now that person acquires the knowledge. But my question is around... You're never done, right? That's right. It's an iterative process. That's right. I think the speed in which business and organizations are changing, mostly due to technology and just the fact that it's easy to start up a business nowadays, I think it's speeding up everything, right? So the, the fact that you're going to get in the circle of stuck nonstop, Absolutely. and then you need to go out and acquire new knowledge. Yeah. And I would actually argue that great companies should be in the circle of stuck almost all the time because it means you're trying to reinvent yourself. I mean, if we're not doing that now, you're left behind. Again, a couple of examples in the book, but they're everywhere today. And that's why I actually finished the book with this simple visual that at the end of the day, leaders should aspire. We, we used to use this term agile leadership, right? You've heard that. We talk about it. it. drives me crazy. We've been talking about it for 20 years. Where are they? Where are all, I mean, shouldn't they all be here by now? What it means to me is we should aspire to this thing called flawless execution, right? I mean, leaders get paid from, in my opinion, only for one thing, and that's to make choices. And then by making choices, you go execute. So the challenge to me is then why don't we do more of that? And I would argue when we're not executing at the level we want is because we don't have the confidence to do it. That's the only reason. And I think what drives confidence is this thing called wisdom. So if you think about yourself just for a second, when is it that you don't make decisions and go execute at the speed you want? It's usually when you don't have the knowledge and experience, aka wisdom. So all I'm suggesting is if you buy into that, and again, I've had this conversation with so many people around the world the last four years, it's pretty intuitive, whether it's a sports analogy, a business analogy, a relationship. If I have the knowledge and experience, I'm going to move at a different speed. I'm going to go execute. All I'm saying is that it's okay if you have the humility to recognize when you don't have it, you can fill those wisdom gaps. It's not that hard to go do. And then the cool thing is, once you get comfortable with that, you should be in the circle of stuck all the time, but you know how to get out of it. But it means you're reinventing yourself. And what we've seen our clients in the last four years do over and over is then they want to go conquer more new things. See, we're reluctant to go to the new stuff because then we know we're going to get stuck and it's super hard. 
you know what? I'll just keep working in my car. I'll take out a little more expense. I'll try a little harder. We'll eke out another year or two. Instead of saying, hey, the core is okay and it's good. We can get a little more time. But guess what? I'm really good at going and creating new stuff because I know when I don't have the wisdom and I know I can find it, it's going to give me the confidence to go execute. I mean, isn't that a better way to, isn't that more exciting? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I see the smile come back on leaders' faces. It's like, wow, we can do this. Because I sat in the chair when I was stuck on hard stuff and you're going to the board of directors or shareholders saying, yeah, it's not going great and I'm stuck. And the reality is I don't really have a great answer, right? Isn't it better to know you can go get the wisdom to have the confidence to get unstuck? That'd be a lot more fun. And again, it may sound ridiculous, but I love bringing the fun back to this. I think leadership is super hard and it shouldn't be. It should be more fun than it usually is. And I just think this wisdom thing, it just helps your confidence soar and you make the decisions and you move towards flawless execution. So agree with that. You wrote late in the book that smart people ask for what they need. And I just want to encourage listeners that, you know, you don't have to be somebody who knows everything, but to recognize when you don't have what you need, whether it's in resources, the wisdom, the knowledge, whatever, don't be a stupid person. Ask for what you need. I think it was good advice in your book. I appreciate that. And that would be my, if you ask me one thing I'd want people to really hopefully get from this is it all starts with humility. There's lots of correlations to success, but if you have the humility to understand when you don't have the knowledge and experience, you're willing to go get it, makes everything go easy. It makes it much more fun and you're going to create more jobs. You're going to create a better business model. So that's where I would start with everybody is really be introspective about your humility. My guest today has been Craig Lamasters. He's the author of the new book, Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others. Craig, thanks for coming on. Any parting thoughts or areas you want to point people to? No, like I said, if you want to know more about it, craiglamasters.com is where you can find our stuff. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Share lots of content. The book is very transparent on the business model. I really want people to embrace the wisdom-based methodology. So I wanted to share it very broadly. You can do it on your own. You don't have to have GXG's help. That's really what I wanted to share. So I just really hope people will dig in and understand the methodology and just try it. That's my recommendation. Just try it. It will change the way you think about learning. That's my hope through all of this, Brandon. But again, thank you very much for having me on today. It's been a blast chatting with you. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Craig. 